Your scripture reading tonight is taken from Jeremiah chapter 2. And we're going to read the first 13 verses. Jeremiah chapter 2. Let's hear the word of the Lord. If you have your Bible, follow with me. The words will come also come up on the screen. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 1. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I remember thee, the kindness of thy youth, the love of thine espousals, when thou wentest after me in the wilderness, in a land that was not sown. Israel was holiness unto the Lord and the first fruits of his increase. All that devour him shall offend. Evil shall come upon them, saith the Lord. Hear ye the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, What iniquity have your fathers found in me, that they are gone far from me, and have walked after vanity, and are become vain? Neither said they, Where is the Lord that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, that led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and pits, through a land of drought and of the shadow of death, through a land that no man passed through and whereon no man dwelt? And I brought you into a plentiful country to eat the fruit thereof and the goodness thereof. But when ye entered, ye defiled my land and made mine heritage an abomination. The priests said not, Where is the Lord? And they that handled the law knew me not. The pastors also transgressed against me. And the prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after things that do not profit. Wherefore, I will plead yet with you, saith the Lord. And with your children's children will I plead. For pass over the isles of Kittim and see and send unto Kebar and consider diligently and see if there be such a thing. Hath a nation changed their gods, which are yet no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which doth not profit. Be astonished, O ye heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be ye very desolate, saith the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now, my text tonight is found in Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 10, right through to verse 13. And my theme this evening I've entitled, The Wicked Sin of a National Apostasy. Now, this is the third sermon in a very short series that I've entitled, God's Word to Our Nation. What is God saying to our nation at this time in our day and generation? A few weeks ago, I set before you a biblical justification of our whole series in a sermon entitled, A Wise Word to Every Nation. And what was that wise word? Proverbs 14, verse 34. 
Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And I've told you before that there's no tax more appropriate, no tax more relevant to set forth a broad overview of our theme, God's word to our nation, than that text. Then last week I set before you the second sermon. I called it God's blueprint for national blessing. Psalm 33, verse 12. Blessed is that nation whose God is the Lord and the people that he's chosen for his own inheritance. I told you there's some 438 references to the word nation or nations in the Bible. God has loads to say to the individual, calling them to repentance and receive Christ as Lord and Savior. God has much to say to families, much to say to our families. The heads of the family, the fathers, the mothers, the young people. It's all in the Bible. But he also has loads to say to the nations of the world. And we thought about different nations last Lord's Day evening. Now, tonight I'm adding a third message to this little series. And I'm calling it the wicked sin of a national apostasy. During my first message, I borrowed an illustration. And if I borrow one, I usually tell you where I got it. I got it from a Reformed Baptist preacher in the United States of America, where he likened the sins of our day to a great mountain range. Think of the Rockies. Think of the Himalayas. Think of you've got the foothills. Little sins. And then you've got the rising peaks and the spine of the mountain. More obvious open sins. And then you've got the ultimate peaks of the mountain. Rising up like huge needles toward the sky. And those high peaks stand out. And those high peaks are like the certain sins that grievously reproach our nation. And what are those sins? Let me spell them out. The wicked sin of innocent bloodshedding. And we're going to deal with that next week in the will of God. And then, of course, you've got something else. The wicked sin of sexual perversion. And pray for that sermon. Pray for sensitivity to those that are guilty of sexual perversion in our day and generation. And then you've also got what I'm calling the wicked sin of a national apostasy. We may even add a fourth sermon in. The wicked sin of drunkenness. But we'll see how the Lord leads In Jeremiah's day, Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, witnessed and felt very strongly the wicked sin of a national apostasy. Now, let me tell you something, that the sin of apostasy is not a new thing. Apostasy always has been from the beginning of time. Apostasy from God and God's truth is found in the pages of Genesis through to Revelation. And if we were to think about the days of Joshua, the days of the judges, the days of Isaiah, Ezekiel, Amos, Micah, Malachi, we would discover even into the days of the Apostle Paul were days of national apostasy. For example, we read in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. 
What are they like? For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such turn away. You see, apostasy has happened from generation to generation. It has taken place in every generation, seen in the Old Testament, seen in the New Testament. And now in our day, as as Paul uh, described it, as, as Peter would have described it, you've got to think of the unparalleled and the unprecedented form of that apostasy. Remember the Lord Jesus said, Matthew 12, 24. Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Whenever the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, who was pastor at the church at Ephesus, know this, that perilous times shall come, he was thinking of the last days. Because the last days, as is mentioned in the Bible, run from the first advent of Christ to the second bodily return of Jesus Christ in power and glory. That's the teaching of the Bible. If we compare Acts 2, verses 16 and 17, quoting from Joel, and discover from Peter and discover from Paul that they believed in their day and generation that they had entered into the last days. And Paul even signifies Uh, What was to happen in the last days, he said, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. A falling away first. That happened in Paul's day. There was a great departure from the true and the living God, from the faith that was once delivered unto the saints, and now it's being intensified. Now it's being magnified into a a fuller, dangerous development of it. Now as you think through this message with me, I want you to think of four things tonight. I want you to think, first of all, of the definition of a national apostasy. Look at Jeremiah chapter 2 and in the verse 13. He says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me the fountain of living waters, And hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. Now think of the words. My people have forsaken me. What is apostasy? It is a great falling away from God. And from God's truth. It's the wholesale rejection of the Lord. It's a wholesale repudiation of God and his truth. A repudiation of God's word, of his day, of his love, of his grace, of his son, of his gospel, of his way of salvation. You see, it's a spiritual turning away from spiritual light to spiritual darkness. It's a forsaking Not only of the general revelation of God as seen in the light of nature, but also a forsaking of that spiritual revelation of God as found in the pages of the Holy Scripture. The Bible teaches us that when men don't like to retain God in knowledge, not only do they turn away from him and turn their back on him as the living and the true God, 
and his son Jesus Christ. But in turning from God, they turn to worship false gods, which are not God. So apostasy is really turning from God and his law to a false god and in a spirit of lawlessness. And if you look at Romans chapter 1 for a moment, which is a very good chapter to read, Romans chapter 1, we read there in verse 21 these words, Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and to four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness. In other words, the Lord judicially gave men up to fulfill the very lust of their heart. See, where there's a forsaking of God and a departure from him and his word, such a rejection leads to the recourse of perverted worship. It leads to falsehood. It leads to idolatry. It leads to loose moral living. The health of the church impacts on the health of the country. And the opposite is true. An unhealthy church where there's no true manifestation of the true religion of God, it leads to an unhealthy country. And it reached to the stage where in the country, the individuals that make up the nation state, every man does that which is right in his own eyes. And isn't that what happened in Judges? Judges 21 verse 25. If we were to read the book of Judges tonight, we would see a repeated cycle of religious apostasy. We'd see rebellion from God and his law. And then we would see then um, not only uh, rebellion, but, but we would see a generation that knew not the Lord and they would be brought into ruin because of sin and then there would be retribution and judgment and then there would be repentance and then there would be redemption, raising up a deliverer and then for a time then everything would be well until eventually they lapsed back into ruin of sin and that's what the whole book of Judges is about. Every true fruit has a root and here's the ultimate root of every apostasy. My people have forsaken me, a forsaken of God. See, you've got to think tonight of the root cause of the children of Israel going into the land of Babylon. Why? Because they forsook the Lord and didn't hearken to him. Jeremiah 25, verses 3 to 11. I not take the time to read it. But the key there is, my people have forsaken me in that they refuse to hearken unto me. We think about the destruction of Jerusalem, A.D. 70 by Titus. Jesus said, your house shall be left to you desolate. Why? Because the Bible says he came unto his own and his own received him not. In other words, they rejected him. They refused God in Christ and his ways and his laws. I want you to think tonight of the rejection of gospel light and privileges. Here's Jeremiah. He came preaching in his day. As far as Jeremiah had come, he had the light of God's truth in his word. He said, thus and thus saith the Lord. He came in the power and authority of the Lord. He had got God's law. 
He, he, he was a preacher in fire for God. There was a visible professing people of God. The word of God was being proclaimed. God was sovereign. And, and what was true in the land of Israel is true in our day. We have got the Bible. And we thank God for that. We've got preachers. We trust in fire for God. We've got the institution that we call the church that's framed by the word of God. We've got other institutions that are framed by the word of God. It's not true of our nation for many years, since Reformation time, since the Puritan era. The majority lived in fear of God. The um, majority of families lived in the fear of God. Communal life, national life, it was all lived under the eye of God. That the law of God shaped and molded and influenced every fabric of society. That greatly impacted on the great institutions in a bygone day. Did you know tonight, for those who are listening in from the United States, that Yale University started as a training center for preachers that were to go to the colonies? Do you know that Dartmoor was started to train men for the ministry? Princeton, and I had the privilege of visiting Princeton, formerly was associated with the Log College in the day of the Tennant Brothers. Men were trained up to go out and preach the word of God. You see, that's an evidence of the goodness and the grace of God. That's an evidence of God's rule over the nations. And what was true of those institutions, Yale, Dartmouth, and Princeton, were true of our institutions, Cambridge and Oxford University and many other houses of learning. And yet now, in the United Kingdom, as well as in the U.S., we're living in an aggressively godless nation. And the great sin, the chief sin of our day, is a forsaking of God, a turning away from him, turning aside from him, not just in general revelation, but for a wholesale rejection of that special revelation of God and his word. So there's the definition of a national apostasy. At its heart is a forsaking of God. Notice, secondly, a description of the national apostasy. Look again at verse 13. See, Jeremiah has been asked here to make an inquiry. He's asking a question. Verse 10. For pass over the isles of Kittim and see, and send unto Kedar, and consider diligently, and see if there be such a thing. What thing? Look at verse 11. Hath a nation changed their gods? He's been asking the people, visit these lands. Go to the isles. Go to Kittim and see if those nations have changed their god. The question has to do with worship. Hath a nation changed their gods, which are not gods? You've got to think of Babylon, think of Egypt, Assyria, Medes and Persians, think of the Romans. And then he adds this, But my people have changed their glory for that which doth not profit. Be astonished, O ye heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be ye very desolate, saith the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. That's the first evil. Secondly, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Think of this illustration. Imagine a man has a, a lovely garden. And in that garden is a lovely 
bubbling spring of clean, pure water. And it bubbles up every day. And you can fill your water bottle and you can drink. That water's great to drink. No impurities. Maybe even friends and neighbors come. It's the talk of the town. Oh, he's got the best water in the village or in the town. And people come with their water bottles and fill them up. It's, it's a fountain of living water. Now imagine that man. He gets a stone slab and he covers the mouth of the spring. And then, let's say, he does something else. He gets two or three barfuls of concrete and he pours it over the top. And he's stopping the spring. It's not flowing now. It's been blocked up. And then the man, to our amazement, he gets a stone boulder or a number of them. He gets a hammer and chisel and begins to chip away at the boulder and he's making a little um, hollowed out bit in the boulder say the size of your hands. You come along and you say to him with the hammer and chisel as you hear him making a noise, what are you doing? And he says to you, oh, I'm making a cistern. What for? Oh, I want to catch the rainwater because I want to drink it. And as he chisels away, as he chips away, the boulder internally cracks. A fissure opens up. And even though it rains and that little hollowed out place holds a little bit of water for a time, it doesn't really hold water for it leaks out, it seeps away. It's a broken cistern. And not only does this man does this once, but he tries the same things all the time. He's a number of broken cisterns in his garden. Notice that it's in the plural. Now think of that man. What sort of a man is he? If I asked the children, the boys and the girls, they would say, I don't think the lift goes all the way to the top. And they'd be 100% right. Why forsake a fountain of living water for a cracked cistern that holds no water. It's absolute madness. It's folly. And God is saying, my people have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. All I am is all that they need. All that we need for our body, our mind, our soul, our strength. He is all we need then why forsake him? How could we? And here's the answer. The heart is deceitful and above all things desperately wicked. Who can know it? And that's the description of a national apostasy. People have forsaken the fountain of living water, God himself, in the personal work of his son, Jesus Christ, and they're hewing them out, broken cisterns from themselves that doesn't hold any water. Notice also here the development of a national apostasy. I have been thinking of the words broken cisterns and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns. In a spiritual sense, what broken cisterns are we talking about? Let me share this with you. A depraved liberalism. You see, if we take a, an examination of the state of the church worldwide in the United Kingdom, the Western world, and even as far as the United States of America, we would discover that the church, the broad church of Jesus Christ, is a name to live, 
but are spiritually dead. They've got a form of religion, but deny the power thereof. 2 Timothy 3 and 5. They've got loads of rituals. They offer praise and prayer. They read the scriptures. They share a few thoughts. But listen to this. They've done away with an infallible Bible. Men in the pulpit tell the congregations, the Bible's an error. It's not an infallible errant book. It's not plenary and verbally inspired. It's not the word of God. And some would go even a bit further and say, well, it contains the word of God. I want to tell you the Bible doesn't contain the word of God. The Bible is the word of God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and righteousness. They've also done away with an incarnate saviour. See, some men have the audacity to teach that Jesus Christ is not God in the flesh. That he's not the only begotten, eternal son of God. They reject his incarnation. They reject his true humanity. They reject his virgin birth, his sinless life. They tell us he's a good man, and he is. But he's more, he's the God man. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. But that's denied. And they have done away with the incarnate Savior. They've done away with the heart of the gospel. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. But this man, after he'd offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down in the right hand of God. But he tell us this idea of an incarnate Savior offering a once and for all sacrifice for sin. We don't agree with that. We don't accept that. We, we don't believe in this doctrine of sin. We don't believe in this doctrine of the wrath of God being revealed against sin. The cross, well, it's a lovely idea. It just, it's, it's a message to tell you that God loves you. I want to tell you it's not. Yes, it's true, but God commended his love toward us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But why did he die? Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That's the heart of the gospel. And shed his precious blood. They've done away with the bodily resurrection. They've done away with his glorious ascension bodily to heaven. They've done away with the doctrine of hell and the wrath of God. They've done away with repentance. You see, the great denominations, listen to me carefully in the past. I, I, I don't denounce, um, as you know, uh, denominations. Free Presbyterian Church is not perfect. It never will be perfect. Let's underscore that. But the great denominations in the past, the Presbyterian, the Baptist, the Free Methodist, the Anglican, if it were possible, those denominations could have changed pulpits with me and I could have changed pulpits with them. Why? Because those men in those days held to the great fundamentals of the faith. But now that's not the case. In the main, mainstream denominations, this is where this depraved liberalism comes in. It's done away with an infallible Bible, an incarnate Savior, done away with the heart of the gospel, done away with his bodily resurrection, his ascension, heaven and hell, done away with repentance, done away with the need for faith in Christ. Is it any wonder that people have stopped attending the house of God on the Sabbath day? 2% of the inhabitants of the United Kingdom attend any religious assembly. This is an evil generation. 
people deliberately, wickedly in their heart and mind, forgetting that God has said, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And they haven't gone and presented themselves before the Lord. And part of the reason is the gospel light and truth has been taken away from them. And those that are listening to such a message have been lulled into a a depraved sort of liberalism. That's one of the broken cisterns of our day. That's the development of a national apostasy. Let me tell you, there's a deceptive atheism. Do you know there's a militant atheism that's risen up in this past 20, 30, 40 years in Northern Ireland? And in the United Kingdom, and this is what they tell us, there is no God. But we already knew that's in the Bible. Psalm 14, verse 1, the fool have said in his heart, there is no God. But there is, it's in italics. The fool have said in his heart, no God. It's, it's a state of rebellion. In their mind, there's no acknowledgement of him, despite the evidence. And where's the evidence? Well, the evidence is in national creation. Remember what the psalmist said, Psalm 19. You can look at it, young people. Psalm 19, verses 1 to 3. This is what the psalmist said. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his hand. They work day on the day utter his speech, and night on the night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language for their voice is not heard. Every created thing testifies to the majesty and the glory and the power and the eternal Godhood of our God. Romans 1 verse 20. The natural world testifies there is a God. And yet there's no acknowledgement of God in the national order. There's no acknowledgement of God in relation to special revelation. This is what the Bible says. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Special revelation is rejected. And because there's no acknowledgement of him, there's no acceptance of him. And there's no thought of accountability to him. People have made a God of their own imagination. Here's this depraved atheism. Could I tell you something else? Here's another sister. A determinant humanism. What is humanism? We hear a lot about it today. Well, it's a modern, non-God, non-supernatural movement. That's put it simply, isn't it? We can understand that. It's a non-God, non-supernatural movement. It means that man's his own God. He's capable of self-fulfillment, capable of self-knowledge. Who am I? Why am I here? Whose world is this? What is right and wrong? What's the meaning of life? All I need to know is found in me, in my mind. I'm the center of all reality. So you've got man's plans and man's purposes and man's accomplishments, man's aims, man's ambition. Man's at the center. See, apart from God, because he doesn't acknowledge God. He doesn't accept God. He's not accountable to God, at least he thinks He's made himself a God. He's deified himself. So he determines what's right and wrong. He he determines things about himself. Now, he hasn't got a true knowledge of self. He hasn't got a true knowledge of right and wrong. He hasn't got a true knowledge of um, the character of God or the moral law of God. He thinks he has, but he hasn't. That's what we call a determinate humanism. And that's one of the driving forces that's leading to this national apostasy in our day. Let me tell you something else quickly. There's a debasing idolatry. The worship of false gods. The flourishment of false cults and false religion. Why is it flourishing? 
because the sinful heart of man gravitates towards such a behavior and such a lifestyle. It's the very characteristic of apostasy. Once you start rejecting God and God's word and God's truth, once you say no to God, then you make your own self, your heart and mind your own God, and and you live and do as you please. And once you do that, then you're opening the door to many sins, including the sins of idolatry. Isn't that what we thought about in Timothy? This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. What are they like? Let me read it again. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such turn away. See, Paul told us, that except there come a falling away first, the man of sin wouldn't be revealed. And that's why that falling away from God and his truth is manifesting itself, intensifying itself. In in a true sense, it's a fulfillment of prophecy. Notice also here there's a demonic astrology. If we were to turn over there to Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 9 to 13, we read this. When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not learn to do after the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you any one that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire, so there's no human sacrifices, or that uses divination, or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consulter, with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a, a necromancer, for all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord. And because these abominations, the Lord thy God, doth drive them out from before thee. Well, why did God put the Canaanites in the land of promise before the children of Israel entered in? Here's the key reason. They had a love for and lived for a demonic astrology. They were worshippers of the sun, the moon, the stars. I don't know about you, I I don't buy the national newspapers, but those that do tell me that every day in the national newspapers, There's a column with your star sign on it. And you can read the stars and get information about yourself and what's going to happen that day, not the scriptures. You know, when I was a boy, boys and girls going to school many, many years ago, here's was something that was interesting. I remember a day in the classroom and there was a girl crying. She was, in fact, she was bawling her eyes out. I'm trying to remember her name. It'll come to me eventually. Getting old. But she was crying. And I remember saying to one of the boys, what's she greeting about? But that's the way we talked then, you know. But what's she greeting about? And uh, the answer came that she was crying because the star sign that day said that she was going to struggle in an assignment. And she thought it had to do with her ma's exam. And she thought she was going to fail. And her dad and mum would get angry with her. I can remember being in Scotland many years ago over 30 in fact, and seeing a sign on the door in Princess Street in Scotland that was known as the Synagogue of Satan. 
There was no name up, but there was a special emblem or sign in that door that, that said what it is. In other words, behind this door, the worship of Satan is going on. And if that's what was happening back then, how much more is it not happening now in our day and in our generation? So here's the development of a national apostasy, a depraved liberalism, a deceptive atheism, a determinate humanism, a debasing idolatry, a demonic astrology. These were the broken cisterns that Israel turned to because they forsook the living water. One final thing, and our time is gone. The desolation of apostasy. Look with me at chapter 2, verse 12, as we finish. Be astonished, O ye heavens, at this, and be ye horribly afraid. Be ye very desolate, saith the Lord. See, once you turn away from the Lord individually, that will impact in your family, but that will impact in the life of the nation. Remember, Paul has already said to Timothy, whom he's left to pastor the church at Ephesus, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. The word perilous means difficult times, grievous times. It was addressed to God's people. You see, a national apostasy grieves the soul of the godly. They think of this corrupt behavior, this forsaking of the Lord, and what it leads to, this list and catalog of sins that, that uh, manifest what society is becoming like. These verses that I've read from Second Timothy reveal a, a moral decline, a departure from the Lord, a forsaking of him, and it leads to such a corrupt, wicked lifestyle. And the danger is this. And Jeremiah, he cries out to the heavens. And he asks the heavens to bear witness. And listen to what he said again. Be astonished, O ye heavens, at this. And be horribly afraid. Be ye very desolate, saith the Lord. Why? Because the danger is we're being conditioned by it all. And what is happening today there's a lot of conditioning impacting and affecting the life of the church. And is it not true, as I finish, that there's been a decline, congregation after congregation, there's been a flood of decline. There's the lack of the godly man and the lack of the godly woman. And, and, and Paul was told there, uh, through, or Timothy was told through Paul in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 14, 13, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And what's the answer? But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. See, the word wax worse, it means cutting a track. Think of cutting a track through the, the rainforest. Such a departure from God means that these men are not going to stop. That They're going to carry on doing what they're doing. We live in a day when there's no repentance. There's no returning to God. Do we not need another Jonah in our day? Going to Nineveh, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be destroyed. Many were saved in Nineveh. Sin was checked in that day from the king to the pauper. Three generations were saved. Think of John the Baptist in a, an evil and wicked generation standing to say, thus and thus saith the Lord. 
Paul said to Timothy, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And despite the persecution, despite the opposition, you and I must cry to God. You and I must continue in the things that we have learned. And let's be assured of knowing of whom we have learned them. Rejoice in the Holy Scriptures. Rejoice in the incarnate Christ. And rejoice in God's wonderful salvation. There is such a thing as the desolation of apostasy. The danger is we're being conditioned. And we need to continue in the things that we've learned. We need to pray. Cry to God for his help, blessing. We need to repent of our all-known secret sins. We need to stand fast in this evil day and hold forth the word of life and the word of truth. I would encourage you to do that. May the Lord take these few thoughts and bless them to us.